Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Man, it's, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, so please be uh, turning to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, where we are in the midst of a series on finding our identity. And before we get into it, I just want to give a shout out to my friend who's here, came today, Miss Debbie. I love her dearly. She is my uh, gym mother. So at the gym, we work out together. She counsels me. And, uh, and so she came, she wanted to come hear me preach today. And so it means a lot to have you here with us. Um, so treat her good. Okay, uh, you're going to have to answer to me. <sighs> okay, so does, it, does anyone ever feel like you can't ever get caught up? Like you got so much to do, you can't, there's no way you could get, ever get caught up with all the things you've got going on. And on top of that, when you do get ahead, you feel like you're not doing anything right. You know what I'm talking about? You do it, you can't, you, you can't do it right, and, it, and, and you, you begin to frame your life in terms of a, a series of losses, like, like, that didn't go well. And like, three days later, like, that didn't go well. And it's just this kind of story uh, of, of failure and difficulty, and I think we all can relate to that. But the, the problem with that, the problem with seeing life in those terms is that, that uh, so often, you know, we see ourselves and our circumstances through a lens that we have built, that we've created, or a lens that, that the world has given us. And so, you know, each of us develop a mental, a mental and emotional roadmap for living. We, we, we establish a, a way in which we engage with the world. We build these habits by which we engage with our reality. And we begin to frame everything that we see in those terms. Maybe, maybe we see our lives through the lens of anxiety. You know? Just everything that we can uh, come in contact with uh, brings us some form of anxiety or fear. Some of us, we engage with our reality uh, from a vantage point of arrogance. And so, you know, we approach everything with pride and we approach everything with a haughty mind. And, and so uh, when we do that, we also find ourselves kind of, um, you know, engendering bitterness. Maybe we imagine ourselves as the victim. And that's the, that's the narrative that we've established and, 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 and some of us, maybe, maybe we always see ourselves as the hero of our story. But in each of these cases, these are, all, these are all false perceptions of ourselves. And yet, every day, day by day, we are trying to see ourselves as, as a hero or a victim or an, you know, anxious or proud. We, you know, we kind of beat ourselves in the chest and try to convince ourselves to be a certain way. And the thing is, the thing is, um, it doesn't work that way. Reality doesn't work that way. You can't just automatically convince yourself to see the world in a different light. Now something's still ringing. Can you hear that? It's like a UFO hovering over my head. <laughs> so if I need to switch to another mic, someone just pull the trigger because I can't, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. Just FYI. The swirling sound? The sw- Sounds like there's a, go- there's a ghost. This is a Halloween prank. That's what this is. All right, so, so the problem with all of our thoughts is that we often see ourselves in our, rea- in our reality from a carnal and worldly vantage point. 
We use, we use worldly reasoning and, and worldly wisdom. And the only thing it does is produce lies and confusion. But when we see ourselves through a divine framework, it produces truth and power in life. But the question is, how do we get that kind of framework? How do we establish that kind of framework when we've already spent our whole lives building another one and it's hard to escape? How do, we, how do we have a change of heart? How do we have a change of mind? How, do, how does the perspective in which we see the world alter? Well, the first thing is this. It begins with refusing your old way of thinking. It's got to start there. It's got to start with refusing the old way of thinking. It has to first come with an acknowledgement that the other way of thinking is not healthy for me and it's not good for me. You got to start there. There has to be something that you're repenting of. There has to be a way in which you engage the world that's not working. You have to see it for what it is and you have to determine that you're not going to go that way anymore. You don't want that. It's got to start there. Ephesians 4.20 says, And ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so, so if we're all agreed that the old man and the old way of thinking only produces lies and confusion, then we can determine in our heart and our mind that we want something new and something better. And so that's where we're going to begin today. We're going to be talking about what it looks like to have our complete framework, a way in which we see the world, perceive the world, understand the world, to have that completely remodeled. How do we get insight that begins with God's mind? How do we get divine insight? That's what we're going to be talking about. So let's pray, and then, and then we'll tackle the verses. All right? Ready to roll? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much uh, for our time together. I thank you for your word. Uh, God, I acknowledge up front that I am inadequate to talk about this subject, um, that, that I don't even have my mind wrapped around uh, the, the, the divine gift that you've given to us by bestowing your mind to us. Uh, there's so much here. There was so much to study that, that it wasn't even fair. Like I, I couldn't even begin to tackle this. And so, Lord, what I'm asking is that you would, you would use my mouth, uh, you would use this time, you would use a weak um, and unqualified person uh, to communicate the beauty and the truth of what you've offered us and what we have to gain by receiving your framework for thinking. It's a supernatural work. Um, but Lord, I pray that there would be some young people in the room today that are open, open to having the way in which they see the world change, the way in which they see themselves changed. So we're asking for your help and we pray it in your son's name. Amen. Let's start with verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 
And so we're going to start here with verse 15, and, and we're going to try to figure out what it's saying. It says, wherefore I also. Now, now, wherefore is a word that reminds us that everything Paul is about to say, he says because of what he's already stated previously. All right? Which is the hard thing about biblical exposition, because you end up finding yourself in moments like this, where you begin a, p- a portion of the passage, and you have to say to yourself, oh yeah, we have to backtrack a little bit. We have, to, we have to get a, a, a clearer understanding of about, of about what we're getting into now. And so, because he uses this word, wherefore, we have to go back and we have to consider what he's already said. Namely, that the church in Ephesus has put their faith in Christ. And because they have, he's got some things he wants to share. So Ephesians 1.13 points to this. In whom you have also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And so we learn that Paul's thankfulness, and what he's about to, t- to talk about here in terms of thankfulness, his thankfulness is the result of the testimony of the believers in Ephesus. He's thankful for who they are. He's thankful for their salvation. He's thankful for what God is doing in their midst. He's thankful for this group of people that have proclaimed Jesus Christ and are growing in their faith day by day in ministry. He's grateful. He's thankful. Now here's our question. I think it's one that we should always take time to to look at whenever we come across thankfulness in Scripture. It comes up often. But we have to ask ourselves this question. Are we truly thankful? Are we thankful people? And, I, you know, I run into this with my kids. So I'm, I'm raising three kids. And, uh, and what I've, I've learned from raising three children is that, is that human beings are not naturally prone to thankfulness. And the reason is because they're naturally prone to selfish thinking. Right? They get something good. They're excited about it. And then, and then they move on. They're looking for the next moment of, of blessing. So, so we're constantly, or we should be constantly giving thanks to God for the gift of Jesus Christ and the blessings that come with it. And so I don't know about you, but the, the, the most perfect example for me is um, children's birthday parties. Have you ever been to a kid's birthday party? It's, ter- it's a terrible experience. <laughs> you, you most definitely should put it off as long as you possibly can. Okay. But if you've ever been to like a niece or a nephew's birthday party, there's something that, that happens, I think, at every birthday party. The child begins to open up presents, okay? And they open a present and they're like really excited about what they got, right? And they lift it up, they show it to everybody. They wanna, and then the, the most terrible part as a parent is that they want to immediately take it out of all of the other packaging. Like, like they, they, you got to get the scissors out and you got to cut it out, okay? And you got to get a picture with grandma. If it was from grandma, that you hold the, the, I don't know if your family does this, you hold the gift up and you get a picture with the person that gave it to you. And there's all of this, like, this, I don't know, formality. And there's excitement. And the, the heart of the, the kid is, like, elated by the gift that they get. That is until they realize that there is another gift in a package waiting for them. And this process is repeated, like, 10 or 15 times, uh, depending on how wealthy your family is, how many gifts the, the spoiled brat got. But, but, but so they, they, they get excited, but they're easily distracted from the wonder of the gift that they just received because they're already anticipating the next thing. And I believe that this is what we do in our thankfulness to the Lord. 
I don't think that we properly take time to acknowledge all the wonderful things that God has done for for us. And I I believe that, that many of us build habits just like that of a kid at a birthday party where we see a blessing take place, we see, we see something that God has done, and we, and we immediately, we celebrate it for a moment, we applaud the Lord, and then we're off to the next thing because, you know, we're busy people and we are easily distracted. And I think the, the, the thing that might be most terrible is how quickly we've forgotten our salvation. How quickly we forget what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. And to not be thankful is, honestly, it's, it's to be dishonoring. An omission of thankfulness is actually, is actually dishonoring to the Lord. I mean, he's done so much through Jesus. He's made us his children. He set us free. He's made us heirs to, to, to heavenly things. He's become our advocate. He's given our lives purpose. And we should be thankful. We should be a thankful people. We should slow down long enough to thank the Lord. But we should also be thankful for God's work in other people. That's what Paul is saying here. He's thankful for what he sees God doing in the lives of the Ephesians. And so it's hard enough for us to be thankful for the things that God's done in our life, let alone Be excited for all the things that God is doing in other people's lives. And the truth is that so many of us are actually prone to jealousy when we see God at work in other people's lives, which is a terrible thing. So you thought thought it was hard to be thankful for your stuff. Well, what about practicing thankfulness on, on behalf of other people? Verse 15 says, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you. Does Christ's work in the lives of other people genuinely motivate us to be grateful? When we see Christ at work in others, we should learn to slow down and take time to glorify God for what he's doing. Let's not be, let's not be like the rest. You understand that you live in a world that, that, that is speeding up in every regard, okay? Like we could make a case right now how that's happening in the natural world, how, 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 the degradation of our planet is happening at a successive rate. That entropy is taking place. It's speeding up. The destruction of our entire universe is rapidly coming. Yeah, I'm looking, kind of looking forward to it. Uh, because we know what's waiting there, right? But, but, but man, the, the truth is just life in general is moving so quickly. And the older you get, the faster life goes. The busy, busier you get, the more responsibilities you have. And... and you are constantly being taken out of the thankfulness game just because you're not willing to stop and rest before the Lord and say, God, I'm so grateful for this minor thing that you did in the life of brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And And this is a a habit that we need to start building. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to address this, but here's the key point. This is what we need to talk about to begin with. Being aware of God's blessing actually promotes a more intentional prayer life. You know, so many of us struggle with prayer. And I wonder if the key to unlocking a good prayer life is beginning with just being thankful to the Lord. Now, let me explain to you how this, I believe that this works. I believe that those of us that take more time to be thankful are, first of all, emotionally more healthy people. Right? 
you wonder why you're like down in the dumps. You know, we've been talking about our identity. And we talked a couple weeks about like some of y'all, your identity is just like moping around all the time. You know, Debbie Downer, right? And, 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 and this is how, okay, well, how you want to see that change. Well, I, I believe that it's healthy for you emotionally to just practice thankfulness. I think God will turn that frown upside down. He'll put the joy in your heart if you, try, if, if, if you are grateful for the, for the little things that he's done. But, but beyond that, I, I believe that the more in tune we are with the blessings that God has given us, the more likely we are to anticipate more blessing and to ask for it. And when we can see the hand of God at work, then it stokes in our hearts a desire to see that same kind of power, that same kind of blessing in every aspect of our lives. You know, I don't, I don't know, I, so I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in like the poor part of the suburbs, right? So in my neighborhood, when you went door to door, it was like the, it was like the chintziest candy on Halloween you could possibly get. It was like, uh, back then, people don't give this out anymore, but have you ever seen, I don't even know what it is, the candy that's wrapped and twisted in the orange and black packaging, and then when you put it in your mouth, it's completely foreign taste. I have no idea what that flavor is. It's some sort of taffy but, and, and it's bad for your teeth, and it's chewy, and it tastes like garbage. But this, this is the kind of candy they gave out in my neighborhood. Now, when I discovered, when I discovered that in the, the nicer parts of Lee Summit, that people were giving out whole candy bars, you best believe that we were riding our bicycles miles, 10 miles. On a BMX with your friend on the pegs. <laughs> to get to where the blessing was at. <laughs> and so here's the point. This is the point that I want to make. When you count blessings, it stirs in you a desire to count more blessings. When we know that God has blessed us, then we know that he can bless us. Whenever where we go, we choose to see God at work. Then we believe that God wants to work. And it affects the way in which we pray. When, pray, when, when you know that God is capable because you see the evidence around you, then you're prone to ask more boldly that the Lord would bless you and grant you according to his will, the things that you desire. Ephesians 3.12 says, we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Matthew seven eleven says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. In other words, like, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm the best dad, but I'm a good dad. I'm a good dad. I like to give gifts to my kids when they come to me and they say, Hey, dad, I cleaned my room. Now can I have? They make, you guys know that the, at Walmart, they used to have those icy machines with the polar bear? You know what I'm talking about? I don't know, I don't know where you can get that now. Maybe they still have it there, but that stuff's good. You know what I'm talking about? They, listen, they make those in popsicle form. And my kids have discovered these icy popsicles. They're blue. They make their mouth all blue. Like Eloise's face is just like blue. <laughs> They're so good. I want to give them, I want to bless them, right? When they come to me and say, hey, dad, can, can we cuddle on the couch and watch a movie? Yes. Yes, we can do that. We'll stop doing everything we're doing for that. 
So if, if, if an evil father, if a father who's temporal and weak and carnal and, and, and fleshly knows how to give good gifts unto their children, how much more does our Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to those who ask? And so what we are learning is that Paul was thankful for the testimony of fruitfulness that he saw in the church of Ephesus. And that thankfulness urged him to be more purposeful in his prayer for them. But what is it that he prayed? And this is where the nitty-gritty is today. This is where I really want, if you're taking notes, this is it right here. What was it that he was praying for them? He prayed prayers of enlightened perspective for the church members in Ephesus. He asked God that the way that they think, the way in which the Christians there thought would be altered and altered greatly. Why? Why? Why would he pray that their minds would be renewed? Why would he pray for wisdom and and knowledge and understanding? Why would he pray for those three things? Because listen very carefully, and I want you to follow this logic. How we think, how we think becomes what we think. Okay, how we think, the way in which we think, the way in which we perceive, the way in which we take in information, over time becomes what we think. Becomes what we think. And what we think, and what we think is critical, is critical to our effectiveness in God's mission. What we think about the world around us, what we think about ourselves, is absolutely critical to our effectiveness in the mission. And here's why. Our profit in the mission depends on our ability to win the battle for our minds. It depends on whether or not you as an individual believer has the ability to go toe-to-toe with false thinking and win out. 2 Corinthians 11.3 tells us that Satan wants to deceive our minds. That he's after your mind. Can you not sense this in just the terms in which you engage with the news? I mean, you are the generation that should know above anybody else that you can't trust a thing that anyone tells you. There is deception everywhere. It's everywhere. And Satan is after our minds. He's after the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we hold to so truly in our heart and our mind. He's after that. He wants to deceive us. This is what Ephesians 6 says. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Do you know that? That you're not at war with people or entities that are are established institutions in this world. You're You're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, spiritual ones against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's who you do battle with. That's who you war with. See, physical kingdoms are one with the sword, aren't they? But spiritual kingdoms are one by thinking, knowing, understanding, living, and speaking truth. The spiritual war that that we're engaged in with with the principalities and the powers and and the spirits and evil and the darkness of this world, right? The battle that we we, we rage for souls and for minds, it's it's done through understanding God's word, living it, 
and speaking it. And so the battle over our mind is a critical, is a critical place of warfare. So when Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, and he prays that their identity, so how they see themselves within their reality, that it would be permanently altered by what they know about God. And what they would gain by, by, by God giving them a divine comprehension of their reality. This will make more sense to us as we go along. But listen to his prayer. Verse 17 says this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto, unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So here we have Paul asking God to grant the church the ability to receive divine insight. That they would be able to think the way that God thinks. So here's our key point. Your personal identity is shaped by a divine view of your reality. So your personal identity, the way in which you see yourself and understand yourself to be in this world, should be and, 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 and needs to be shaped by a divine vantage point. And so he prays specifically for three things. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And each of these three things are interrelated. Now I want to point out to you real quick before we get too far here is that this is almost an inexhaustible topic in Scripture. Talking about wisdom and understanding and knowledge is like a well that never runs dry. Like you can't get to the bottom of it. And so, so the odd thing about it is that, that each of these things appears at times in Scripture to be successive which is how I'm going to present it today. But other times, some of these, some of these words, they function as, as synonyms of one another. Sometimes we see them function in cycles. They're interrelated. And so knowledge becomes understanding and understanding becomes knowledge. And sometimes wisdom, it, it sounds like understanding. And, and, and the more you study it, the more you realize that these things are interrelated and they depend on one another and they create an ecosystem of truth. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are an ecosystem of truth. And so for the, for the sake of best describing of the, of the, each of these things and their relationship to one another, we're going to begin with knowledge. We're going to talk about knowledge today. And I want to make it as practical as possible. So this is just going to be a cursory overview of the topic. I want it to be practical. I want it to be useful to you. And I want it to, to help begin a journey of understanding these things in Scripture. So the first question is this. What is knowledge? What is knowledge? So Paul prays God, uh, that God would give them the revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what he prays. So let's look at a few verses real quick. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge. But he that hateth reproof is brutish. Okay, so let's... I, look, I could talk about this stuff all day long. Now, I can't. I can't. We don't have time for all that. But just look at this verse. Whoso loveth instruction. Okay, teaching. People that love the teaching of God's word are people that love knowledge. Now, it makes a parallel here. The passage make, makes a parallel between instruction and reproof. So when someone teaches, they also reprove you. In other words, they prove you out. In other words, they sharpen you and they hold you accountable. And sometimes they say things that might go against the grain of the way that you already think. We need reproving. Now, some of us are so bad at receiving reproof. 
When someone comes to you to prove out the way you're thinking or the way you're doing or the way you're behaving, we get, we get real defensive and we get fearful because, because we, we forget that in the family of God that we love one another unconditionally. We're so busy defending ourselves that we can't even think straight. This is why this series is so important for us. Okay, so th- that's a sidebar. But instruction, people that love instruction are people that love knowledge. Proverbs 18, 15 says, The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. In other words, knowledge comes by the ear. Proverbs twenty two seventeen: 17, bow thine, uh, bow, thine, bow thine ear and hear the words of the wise and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. And so we recognize that, that, that we have to hear knowledge, but knowledge comes from a truth set, the words of the wise. And, and, and we have to apply our heart to that knowledge in order for it to be received. Okay, so here, here's what we know about knowledge. Knowledge is this. Knowledge is truth gained or received. It's truth, truth coming by God's word. We'll get more into that in a second. Knowledge is truth that is gained. Now further, to be endowed with knowledge is the ability to identify and receive biblical instruction with a degree of permanence. Okay, so someone who has knowledge is a person who can identify truth, receive truth, and to some degree, hold on to truth at a level of permanence that it's useful, that it can be recalled in your mind, that truth keeps coming back to you because it's knowledge, it's knowledge, it lives there, it dwells there. Now, here's our key point. This is why knowledge is so important. Knowledge shapes your definitions, and makes you spiritually informed. Knowledge, the ability to have knowledge, to gain knowledge, it shapes your definitions. The, the way in which we, we understand and perceive our world and makes you spiritually informed. It, it makes it so that you can, com- you can compare the reality out there against the reality in here. Against the reality that was provided to me here in this book. As this goes here... And here, then I have the ability to compare that against truth. The, 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 the Bible, it, uh, it establishes truth. The Bible does. And truth exists in the realm of words. Now, I'm sorry to break it to you, okay? God did not produce a film that you might know him better. He wrote a book. And what I hear all the time, I hear people say they don't like to read. Well, listen to me. You better get over that. <laughs> you better get over that real quick because God wrote a book and it's, a, it's big. It's a big one. And there's a lot to know. And so you better get used to the idea of reading. That's got to happen. God wrote a book and the word of God was meant to be the final authority for our lives. The word and the words of the Bible are the absolute knowledge set. It is divine in every regard. He's preserved it from generation to generation. It is a perfect book. Every word, every bit, every, every, every little ounce of, 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 that you could pull from this is valuable for your life, and it is God's word. And here's the thing about words. Words shape ideas. Words shape ideas. And so establishing biblical definitions is critical. It's critical 
And knowledge shapes your definition. So let me give you an example. For instance, what God means when he says the word justice is not the same thing that the world says or means when they say justice. It's not the same. Same word, different definitions. So, so when, when God says liberty, that is not the same thing as what the world means when it says liberty. Same word, different definitions. When God says love, which we studied extensively in 1 Corinthians, when God says love, that is an incredibly different thing than what the world means when it says love. And so knowledge shapes your definitions and makes you spiritually informed. Our faith is not part of an oral tradition because oral traditions are prone to corruption. Our faith is not part of a deeply ingrained custom because customs are prone to change. Our faith is beyond man's ability to manipulate or interpret with selfish motives because what we believe is part of a body of divine knowledge that has repeatedly withstood the test of time. Every false prophet is eventually found out. Every deceiver and false teacher, every person who mishandles God's word is eventually judged. This book is strong, y'all. It's strong. And it's sure. The word of God is sure. 2 Peter 1.19 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. The word is sure and it's true. And listen to me. It's truth. And truth is light. And light chases away darkness. Some of the guys in one of the chats this week, I didn't even get a chance to engage with them. We're doing a study of like light and understanding light. And, and Jesus is light and he's coming to, into the world, right? We know that Jesus is the light of the world. You know what it also says? Is that Jesus is the living word. He, he is the word. He's the living word. And the word of God, truth, truth is a light that chases away false ideas, false thinking. It sets things straight. And so we need knowledge, do we not? We need knowledge. It's necessary. So the next question that we should ask is, how do we gain knowledge? How do you gain truth? Well, first of all, and so if you're taking notes, this is where we'll get real busy now. We're moving. We're picking it up. It must be revealed. First and foremost, it must be revealed. The passage says the revelation in the knowledge of him, doesn't it? In other words, truth must be uncovered by God. But... He's revealed those things through the letter of his law in a divine book. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So right here in Deut Deuteronomy 29, what we discover is that there's an association between the words of the prophets and the words that are captured in the law. And so what we understand, 
okay, if, you, if you're a student of the Bible, is that in, in, in old times, in the Old Testament, when the Bible was being captured and written, that it began with the work of prophets, that God would speak to a man. And that man would capture those truths. And he'd capture those truths and parchment, paper, and, and, and these truths were passed along. These, these captured truths on written documents were handed down. And, and saints of old, old you know, of, of, of the temple sacrifice, and, and where they would teach from these things. And then eventually it became the, the prophets of the New Testament and the apostles and the apostle Paul. And they wrote these things down that we might have them captured in written form. And we are to obey those commands and those laws. Ephesians 3.1 says this, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given uh, me to your, your word. In other words, I've been given a dispensation. I've been given a, a stewardship of truth that I'm extending to you. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. As I wrote. <laughs> okay, you see the switch here? It's going from the prophet receiving truth to him capturing truth in the written word. It says, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so here's the thing that we have to know is that if we want the revelation of God as New Testament believers, we better read that book. You want truth? You want to know what's true? It's got to begin by studying the word of God in written pages that have been handed down to you by men and women of old. It's got to begin there. And so it has to be revealed. It's been revealed. It has to be revealed. And so akin to that is that it must be received in the revelation that it is. So it must be received. If you want knowledge, you have to agree that it, that it belongs to you. Okay, so if I have truth and it's been extended to me, someone has the option of refusing it or receiving it. Do they not? Real simple, okay? Today it's like ABCs, all right? This is real simple. You have to choose to receive it. You have to make it belong to you. It has to belong to you. But here's the rub. Knowledge is no good if you don't have the spiritual capacity to receive it. So 1 Corinthians 2 gives us some insight to this. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Okay, so the Holy Ghost, we're going to come back to this, is critical for the work of learning. The Holy Ghost teacheth comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So in order, in order to, the, to do the work of biblical study, in order to understand truth, in order to, to receive it for what it says, you have to have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Now I believe, Romans chapter 1 tells me, that, that, that God has revealed himself to all of mankind. So there's a degree in which all people have access to truth. But if you want, the, you want to know the fullness of this book, if you want to really understand what it says, then you have to profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and be saved. 
And the Holy Spirit of God has to dwell in you. I know so many people who don't know Jesus Christ, people who are atheists or agnostics, who all, they always say the same thing. I've read the Bible and da 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 Oh, I've read the Bible. I've read it. I've read that mythology, you know. They're real, you know, proud. And, and the thing that I know that they don't know is that there's no possible way they could get what, what the book says, that they could gain that knowledge because they don't have the spirit of God living in them. They can't, if they can't receive Jesus Christ in the simplicity of the gospel, there's no way that God is going to open their eyes and their heart to the reality of the depths of his text. So the word of God is revealed, but then it has to be received. And it has to be received in the right way. You have to have the spirit of God in you. But further, the, there's a biblical method for receiving knowledge, and it's called discipleship. There's a method by which we receive knowledge. 2 Timothy 2.2 lays this out very clearly. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now, let me, let me address something that, uh, you know, I think that this is relevant. I think this is pertinent. Let me address something. In this room, every single week, we have people that come and they, they get excited about what they hear and what they see. They, they, they enjoy being in fellowship. They enjoy just a moment with Christians that are actually excited about what God's doing. And they come and, and they check it out and they check it out and they check it out. And then they make excuses by why, for the reason they can't commit themselves fully to what's going on here. And they go to Bible study for a long period of time and they enjoy Bible study. They enjoy the fellowship. But listen to me, I want to plead with you. You will never get the knowledge set that God has for you until you determine that you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and sit under biblical instruction. And sit under biblical instruction. And have things that, that are true, truths from God's word, committed to you with the hope that one day you would commit those same things to other faithful people. This is the method by which God has made his word alive in the hearts of people from generation to generation from the moment of his resurrection. This is the method that he's used. And so I want to plead with you. You want to grow in your knowledge of God's word. Begin with the determination to be discipled and sit under the instruction of teaching. Let someone speak truth into your life. Let them share life with you. Talk about your problems, your needs, your difficulties, your hopes, your desires. Compare those things against the book and find your identity in the knowledge of God's word. And if, so if you need biblical discipleship, do not drag your feet. Do not drag your feet. The next thing is this. If we want knowledge, we must be humble to properly receive it. We must be humble. Let me explain something to you. Uh, and, and this will make more sense in a second. There's a type of person that can gain head knowledge, but never gain heart knowledge. Proverbs 1.7 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So listen, if you don't fear God, then he's got nothing for you. Like there's no mystery. He's, he's, not, he's not interested in revealing the secrets of his word to you if you don't first fear him. Now, a lot of us struggle with this. A lot of us struggle with the idea of fearing a God we love, okay? 
But again, I don't think, if you just simply take a moment to consider who God is, I don't think this is a, the hurdle that we make it to be. Because we want a lovey-dovey God that holds our hand and walks through, us, walks through life with us and, and gives us little kisses on the cheek. And we, and we, we project our daddy issues onto God. And, and that's what we want. And that's what we want. Now listen, he's cool with all that. He wants that for you too. He wants that for you too. But listen to me. This is very, very important. He's also a king. And he's also the creator of the universe. And if you take but a moment to consider the vastness of his power, then you would tremble at that power. And you would learn to fear God. You would learn to fear him. And so the beginning of, the, the beginning of knowledge is fearing the Lord. It has to be. How is he going to show you the depths of his universe if you don't respect the fact that he created all of it? And he's terrible. <laughs> he, is, he is. Read Job. I mean, the very, his very words to Job are, look, you talking all this stuff like you know me? Listen, bro, where were you when I laid the foundations of the, the earth? You were but a glimmer in my imagination. You weren't there. We have to fear God if we want to receive truth. And if we don't, listen to me, what I'm afraid of is that we're going to gain a lot of head knowledge and it's going to have no application in our life. If knowledge is received in pride, it's received in vain. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. But listen, knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge puffeth up. But charity, charity edifieth. We have the ability to receive knowledge in a way that's just intellectual. I know so many Christians, listen, I know so many Christians that tout all of the same doctrines that we do. They believe, they understand dispensationalism. They understand how to divide the word of God. They understand that they have a preserved word in the King James. And they feel confident in that. And listen to me, the way in which they use that knowledge is only divisive and contentious. Because they've, they've, they've received knowledge in pride. And that is dangerous business. And so if we want to receive truth, if we want to be people of knowledge, then we have to be ready to receive it with humble hearts, knowing who we are versus who God is. Now, I can already tell we're not going to get all the way through this. But we're going to cover understanding right now. People who receive knowledge in pride will never have access to true understanding. And that's what's at play here. Okay? Knowledge puffs up. But our ability to be humble, our ability to be humble when we receive it, gives us the ability to understand. So what, what is understanding? Verse 18 says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now I want to point this out. Again, I don't have time to address it. But the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Okay, so, so your proverbial eyes, what do, you, what do you do with eyes? You see. You perceive, don't you? You look around and you process information and you make sense of the world in which you engage with that sense, right? So it keeps you from doing things like crossing the street when there's traffic, when there's cars coming. You see a car and you refuse to step out in front of it, I hope, right? 
Now, now what this says is the eyes of your understanding being open. In other words, there is also a way in which the eyes of your mind can be open to understanding things that you couldn't otherwise understand. It's a a sensory exercise to engage and and become understanding people. So here's here's, um, what Psalm 119, 130 says. The entrance of thy words giveth light. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. And God knows we're simple. And so here's what we need to know. Understanding is aptitude gained. It's aptitude. Aptitude gained. The ability to principalize the things that you've learned. The ability to build a philosophy for how something might apply, how truth, how knowledge might apply to your world. So as you gain knowledge, it should affect the way in which you think about things. Understanding is, 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 is the ability to conceptualize and implement divine knowledge. That's what it is. So someone with understanding can, can take the knowledge that they've gained from God's word and make sense of it principally in real life situations. Now, so many of us aren't good at this, especially when we're first learning God's word. It feels like your spirituality is on training wheels, right? Like I'm watching Shiloh. I don't know if you follow the Hattons on Instagram, but Shiloh on that, what are those bikes called? called Stride Ride Ride or whatever. It's like, it's like wheels with no pedals. Um, They seem really dangerous, but he's out there tottering around on his feet on this bike and he's going to learn it. He's going to be riding a bike in no time, right? And so that's so many of us in our spirituality is like we gain knowledge, but we handle it clumsily, Right? We, we, don't, we don't know quite how it applies yet. So we're getting all these ideas and these concepts. But over time, as, as truth is repeated and knowledge is gained time and time again, and the more that we're instructed, the more it makes sense as we engage our reality. And we can begin to see it play out. And then you can say, oh, I know what I'm going to do in this situation. Oh, I know what I would do if I was that person. I know how I should think about that thing. You read the news and you, you, you engage with your world and suddenly in your mind, you know how to make sense of the crazy and complex circumstances that surround us all the time. That's what understanding is. Someone with understanding can take the truth and make judgment calls in real time. Philippians 1.9 says this, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment making judgments, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So someone with understanding is someone who can, can interpret their thoughts and emotions through the lens of God, not the world. Proverbs 18.2, a fool hath no delight in understanding, but, but that his heart may discover itself. And that's what we, we need understanding to help us discover ourselves. You don't know your own heart. Listen, y'all, I know, I know in this room right now, there are people in this room who don't even, can't even make sense of your own emotions and feelings. You can't make sense of it. Okay? So what I want to advocate for is you putting this book into your mind and letting it begin to affect your heart so you can understand it. And let God tell you how to feel. Let him give you that divine insight. So here's our key point. Understanding shapes your perceptions 
by making you discerning. That's what understanding does. It makes you a discerning person. You can judge. You can make judgments. You can, you can understand or discern what's going on. Proverbs 14, 6 says, A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it, uh, findeth it not. But knowledge is easy, is easy unto him that understandeth. Knowledge, truth, truth is easy to be received. And so the idea is this. Knowledge produces understanding, and understanding begets more knowledge. You can put more and more in there. Makes more and more sense. I can apply it more and more. It's making sense to me. It's coming alive. Understanding is when when the book begins to come alive. Now, how do we gain understanding? And this is where we're going to end. And this is important. So, so we need to gain understanding. So let's pay attention. First of all, it must be asked for. You got to ask for it. We have to pray for understanding. Understanding, listen, understanding can be bestowed upon you. God is willing to give you understanding just by his goodness and his grace. So we should pray for understanding. And I think a lot of, a lot of us probably need to add that to our prayer, prayer list. God, give me understanding. I'm not, this is not making sense. What I'm learning in your book, it doesn't make sense to me quite yet. Or God, what I'm supposed to do in this circumstance, I'm not really sure how your word applies. Will you help me? I'm confused. And, and confusion is okay because what it should do is it should cause you to call on God for understanding. We know this to be true because 1 Kings 3, 6 in the narrative of Solomon and Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy ser- uh, servant David, my father, great mercy. So he's praying to God. And he says, God, you've shown great mercy to my father David, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. And I am but a little child. I can't remember. Was, was uh, Solomon eight when he took the throne? Does anybody remember off the top of their head? I think he was eight years old. Double check me on that. Okay. No, 15? He was young. He was very young. He was young. Look it up. Look it up. We'll talk about it later. He was young. He said, but I'm, I'm, I'm but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servants is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. So he's rehearsing before the Lord. He's like, how am I supposed to? I'm but a kid. I'm a child. And I can't possibly rule over these people. I don't even know what to do. There's so many of them. And I just learned how to ride a bicycle. He's 12. 12? Okay, good. Thank you. He's 12. Young. I mean, shepherd's 12. Dude can't, dude can't clean his room. So this is what he asks God. He says, God, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing and hast not asked for thyself long life, which you know some of y'all would ask for. Like, well, I'm already rich. But uh, God, would you make me live to be like 147? He didn't ask for that. No, this is what he asked for. Please, God. 
And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and not asked for thyself long life, neither hast thou asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there, be, there was a none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And this is why we say that Solomon is the wisest man to ever live. Because God bestowed upon him understanding. And so I think the thing to consider here is that Solomon asked for understanding because he saw that there was purpose in the work of ministry. He saw the ministry was too great for him and he said, God, give me understanding. Is that your motivation? To be a minister of God? To be useful in his mission? Because I think, I think it's important to remember that if we pray outside of God's will, he's under no obligation to answer that. But if we pray according to his will, God, I want to be an effective minister. I need understanding. Would you give me understanding? I think that's the type of prayer that he wants to answer. This pleased the Lord and he granted him understanding. Now, I know you're not King Solomon, but we are God's children. And I don't see any reason why a New Testament believer can't ask and make this simple request. In fact, it's what Paul's doing here. It's what's actually happening in Ephesians chapter 1. He's asking that they would be granted understanding. God give us understanding. The other thing is this. We must be teachable. And this is where we'll close. We must be teachable. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Listen to me. We must be teachable people. We must not fight against correction. We must not fight against instruction. We, when someone sits us down and says, hey, bro, something's not adding up. Hey, sister, things aren't right. Look at what the book says. Look at what the Lord says. Consider these things. We should receive that with so much joy. I'm not saying it's not hard. What I'm saying is we should receive it with joy. We should be teachable people. And the, and the difference between those of us who kind of live a nominal Christian life a lot of times, come to church, maybe get involved, maybe, maybe have ministry responsibility, the difference between that kind of person and a person who leads in ministry is oftentimes the difference between a desire to learn and to be taught and a desire uh, or sorry, I desire not to be taught and not to be told what to do and not to have people in their business and the person that does desire to be taught and have someone in their business and sharpening them. That's a vast divide a lot of times in ministry. You need to be teachable. 2 Timothy 3.14 says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been uh, assured of knowing uh, uh, of whom thou hast learned them and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Continue in the path of learning. Be teachable. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna stop here. Okay, I don't usually do this. I usually get through my notes. But I, it's too much, it's too much. Okay, listen. This is where we're gonna end. Do you desire to know God's word and to make sense of it day to day? Begin with discipleship. 
consider being a part of a Bible study. If you're not a part of a Bible study yet, that is a place where you can get sharpened. Anybody else gain just so much from being in Bible study? I mean, it keeps discipleship alive. Even long past discipleship meetings, Bible study continues to stoke the fire of our knowledge and understanding. Thank God for Bible study. Who's in LFBI? Raise your hand if you're taking LFBI courses. These are people who want deeper things from God's word. This is the process of knowledge, understanding, knowledge, understanding. You sit in that classroom and you think to yourself, this seems like a lot of knowledge. I wonder what I'm getting out of this. And you're like, you're like Shiloh on the Strider bike, like looking like a fool because you're getting all this knowledge and you don't know what to do with it. Listen to me. Listen. Oh, it'll make sense when the time comes. When dad puts you on the bike and pushes you and it's time to ride, guess what? That knowledge will come in real handy. And God will make knowledge understanding in your life. We need this. Do not quit being teachable. Do not fold up. Do not quit. Don't, 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 do not fall out of love with this book. Do not fall out. Of, this book is the game changer of your life. It is the reason that you're saved and it is the reason you're being sanctified. Do not quit this book. I'm looking at a room full of people. If they're willing to commit themselves to knowledge and understanding, wisdom will come. And we will truly impact this world for Jesus Christ and his namesake. We will turn this world upside down. Do not quit. I want to invite the worship team up. There are going to be people standing up front. And if you know that you need discipleship or you need to press into your growth and, and, and your understanding of God's word, please come forward. If you desire to be a part of a Bible study and you don't know about Bible study, listen to me. I'm looking at a lot of people in this room that I don't recognize today. I want to invite you. Come be a part of Bible study. Come grab a hold of someone and get invited to a Bible study. So come on up. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for his help. Let's ask him for knowledge and understanding. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, your word is so deep that like I can't even, I can't even touch it. And this time that we had together, I couldn't even, I couldn't even scrape the surface of this topic. Uh, God, you are good. Um, give us knowledge, enlighten our understanding. Give us, give, give us eyes of understanding. Help us to perceive and understand you rightly so that we can know who we are in this wild and troubled world. Lord, I pray, I pray that, that, that what we've gained today would truly affect the framework by which we see the world. We need a biblical worldview. We need a biblical understanding. We need to be wise men and women in order, to, in order to get around in this crazy world. So help us, God. We're trusting you for that. And so, Lord, if there are people in the room that need to come forward or grab a hold of someone, they have decisions to make, Lord, help them to do that. Give them boldness. We pray for it in Christ's name. Amen. That today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.